one thing is that we live in a world that's hungry for peace. We have peace songs where we sing about peace. We have sort of the ironically named peace protests, which often aren't all that peaceful. We have peace envoys who who travel to other countries to engage in peace talks and, and where they hopefully come to peace agreements and maybe even sign a peace treaty. We even have peace signs. But one thing we don't have a lot of is Peace. Whether we're talking about peace in the international sense or peace in the personal sense of, of inner peace. And one thing I have noticed is that people look for peace in a lot of strange places. They look for peace in a bar, in a bottle of pills. They look for peace through a syringe. Or at the gym. Or on a therapist's couch. People think they might find peace if they go on trips to exotic locations. We think we might find peace partying. Or getting involved in a good cause. Or in food. Or we might find peace through a credit card. Or if we can just achieve the right corner office. Or people think they can find peace in animals. And advocating for animal rights. And we may find momentary relief from these pursuits. A a brief distraction. A pause in our existential angst. But what we don't find is true, lasting peace. Now, this morning we meet a woman who's never known peace. She has known a lot of men who see her as just a peace, but she's never had peace. She's known many lovers, but she's never known love until Jesus. And as we begin our journey this morning, I want to start out by showing you our destination. When she came... She had no peace, but when she goes, she has peace. Look at verse or chapter 7, verse 50. Jesus tells her, go in peace. So when she shows up, she doesn't know peace. But after her encounter with Jesus, she is able to go in peace. So let's back up and see how this happens. Verse 36. <coughs> One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. 
And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased uh, to stop kissing them. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The wording of our text suggests that this woman was a prostitute. It says that she was a woman of the city, a sinner. That was a euphemism in the first century for a prostitute. And the Pharisee talks about her as though Jesus should obviously know just what sort of woman she was. She had been looking for peace in the beds of strangers. However, it didn't matter whom she made love to. It didn't matter how much money she made. Peace always eluded her until she found Jesus. Jesus gave her something that all of her lovers and all of her money couldn't give her. Now, as Christians and as a church, we are called to be peacemakers. And being a peacemaker is more than breaking up a fight or getting your mom and your sister to talk to each other again. It's about introducing the love of Jesus into the human heart and into the human condition so that he can bring peace. So that he can bring peace between you and your creator, peace between you and your past, you and your future. A peace that only Jesus can give. And if you're looking for peace today, I want you to know that Jesus is still the Prince of Peace. He still has the peace that passes understanding. And if you're looking for peace, I know where you can find it. You can find it in the same place this woman found it. What we want to do this morning is see how this woman found it. So that maybe we can find it ourselves. And the first thing we see in this passage is that peace is found in being seen, and in seeing. Now, I want to illustrate this with, with a video. I'm going to have them play a video. What I want you to do is watch for uh, how many times the players in white pass the ball. If you've seen this before, don't give it away to your neighbor. But just watch for how many times the players in white pass the ball. The monkey business illusion. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half missed the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. 
But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. And that's the monkey business illusion. I've got to admit, I missed it the first time I watched it. I said, gorilla? What gorilla? I didn't see a gorilla. But I got the right answer, 16 passes. But let me address the 500-pound gorilla in our room. We don't see as much as we think we see. Simon the Pharisee didn't really see this woman. And I think Jesus made that clear when he asked him, do you see this woman? And I don't think Jesus was recommending that he go to the eye doctor. He wasn't saying, well, you need to get your eyes checked. Of course he could see this woman. He wasn't talking about his eyes. He was talking about his heart. And and Simon was blinded by at least two things that I think blind us sometimes. And the first is this. Number one, he didn't see Jesus for who he was. We read in the text here, Simon said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. And what he's really saying here is, if Jesus is, is a true prophet of God, then he would know that this woman is dirty, is evil, is gross, is sinful, and he has no business allowing her in his presence. But Jesus isn't just a true prophet of God. He's the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. But, but Simon completely misses it Because he misses the heart of God. His assumption is, well, God obviously hates sinners like this woman. And God would rather that they live and die without peace. The fact of the matter is that Jesus knew exactly what sort of woman it was that was touching him. And he received her love anyway. And he loved her anyway. When we don't see Jesus for who He really is, we will not see lost people the way He does. And how does He see lost people? Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's who He is. That's what He's about. And if we don't see Jesus for who He is, we won't be about the same thing. The the second way in which... Simon was blinded was he didn't see this woman for who she was. Simon saw her sin. He saw her reputation. He saw her failure. He'd seen all the men that that she had slept with, but he didn't see her. Jesus sees people. And so he asked Simon this, this crucially important question. Do you see this woman? And that's such a good question. Do you see her? And it's a question we all need to ask ourselves whenever we see someone who needs Jesus. Do we really see them? Do we see them the way Jesus sees them? Jesus saw her 
He saw her heart. He saw her need. He saw her longing for peace. And for obvious reasons, this woman was not at peace. She was experiencing an an inner turmoil that released at the sight of Jesus and, and she poured it out literally all over Him. Simon could only see this woman's past. But Jesus could see her future. And so He showed her grace and love. What the Pharisee saw and what Jesus saw, even though they were at the same place at the same time and they saw the same thing, they saw two completely different scenes. The Pharisee saw a dirty woman touching a holy man. But Jesus saw a lost woman who was honoring Him. Ironically, something that the Pharisee should have done but didn't. He should have been the one to wash His feet when Jesus entered His home. He should have been the one to treat Jesus as an honored guest. But He didn't. But this woman did. Let our prayer this morning be that we see Jesus for who He is and that we see, that we see people for who they are. Because in being seen... And in seeing, we find peace. Secondly, we find peace in being loved and in loving in return. The love we see here is so dramatic because it comes from the most unlikely source, a sinful woman. She has given sex many times. Maybe she's even given passion. But had she ever really given love? One thing is for sure, she'd never found love from her many clients. Our world is so confused about sex and love and gets them backwards. That's a whole other sermon right there. But this woman had gotten them backwards all of her life. But in Jesus, she found what she never found in a stranger's bed. True love from a man. Jesus loved her for her. He didn't love her for what she could give. He didn't love her for what she could do. He didn't love her because of how she made him feel. He simply loved her. Now, we don't have the backstory here of how Jesus had reached out to her and loved her. This woman enters our story right here in the text. This is the first time we see her. But it's obvious this isn't the first time that she has seen Jesus. But we get a clue. In verse 34, immediately preceding this passage, Jesus is accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners just like this woman. So somehow, somewhere along the way, Jesus had been a friend to her. And He had been a friend to others like her. And so now she shows up, she crashes the Pharisees' party, and she loves Jesus back in the most extravagant of ways. Here's an observation, though. We can't touch the lives of lost people unless we're willing to be touched by lost people. Jesus, unlike many people in the church, wasn't insulated and isolated from sinners. He loved them. He was present in their lives. 
And we can do this, first of all, in, in our personal lives. What, what are you doing in your life right now to connect with lost people? And what are you doing to connect those people with Jesus? So join a club. Ask someone for coffee. Make spaghetti for your neighbors. Do something to put yourself in a place where you can build an intentional relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and introduce them to Jesus. We can also do this as a church. But is our church really a, a safe place for lost people to be found? We must be a place where lost people are drawn to the love of Jesus because our love has drawn them. And Sunrise needs to be a place where it's okay for sinners, sinners just like us, to extravagantly worship Jesus I love that Jesus doesn't reject this woman's worship. Jesus could have said, Ew! What are you doing? Go get yourself cleaned up first. And He's not just talking about a bath. But He doesn't turn her worship away. And I don't think we should reject her worship either. I, I, I thought long and hard about this passage, and, and I've even had to wrestle with it some. Because how would we respond if somebody came through those doors, somebody that we knew sold their body for, for money? Somebody who was a hooker, somebody who was a stripper at a, at a gentleman's club. And then they came in here and passionately worship Jesus. And think about what she's using to worship. An alabaster flask of ointment, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Let me give you some, some cultural background here. This was an extravagant gift. This would have been a jar of, of expensive perfume such as myrrh, uh, such a, a jar of ointment was worth about 300 denarii. And I'll do the math for you. In modern terms, it was worth about $54,000. This is a household's annual income. And she just pours it out all over Jesus' feet and his head. It washes down his body, ends up on the floor. Somebody's going to have to come along later with a towel and soak it up and all washed away. Now think about this. Where did this woman get the money to buy such a jar of perfume? She likely earned it on her back. Moreover, think about this. She probably used this perfume as she plied her trade. You see, perfume would have been an essential would have been essential in her line of work, if you catch my meaning. And now she is using the very thing that she earned from her sin, the very thing that she used in her sin, she now uses to worship Jesus. Yet sometimes we act like people need to clean up their acts before coming to Jesus. Nonsense. Because he's the one who cleanses us. 
He loves you. So give Him your best. Give Him your worst. Other scholars say, and I find this an interesting line of thought as well, other scholars say that that jars of ointment like this were often a part of a woman's wedding dowry. And it would be something that would be saved for her wedding day. Something that she used to prepare herself for her wedding night. And maybe this outpouring was her way of saying that, that because of her sin, because of her many lovers, she's never going to get married. And what if that alabaster jar of perfume sat on her mantle, mocking her choices? And every time she looked at it, she was reminded of her failures. And it had become a source of pain in her life. There is nothing better to do with your pain than to pour it at the feet of Jesus. Because you know that Jesus can transform pain into praise, brokenness into blessing, alabaster ointment into alleluias. God stands ready to receive your praise even if it comes from a broken place. We love Him, so we give Him our best. And this is the best that this woman had to offer Jesus. And so she gave it all. And I have to wonder, am I giving it all? Or am I holding back from Jesus? I hope not. Because if we're holding back from Jesus, then we're missing an opportunity to let Jesus know just how much we love Him. Simon the Pharisee here missed a tremendous opportunity He could have worshipped in the very presence of the promised Messiah. It's an opportunity that that most of us would die for, that, that, that we are living for, to worship in the very presence of Jesus. And Jesus receives her actions as they actually were. Love. Verse 47 says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. Peace is found in being loved and in loving. Peace is also found in being forgiven and in forgiving. Do you have a hard time forgiving people? I do. You don't have to raise your hand because every hand would go up. It should if we're honest. We have a hard time with forgiveness. But seriously, if we truly understood, had the beginning of a grasp of how much we had been forgiven, we would be a lot more forgiving and grateful to God and loving to God. And this is the point of the parable Jesus tells here, verses 41 through 43. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, 500 denarii is about 20 months wages. Nearly two years. 50 denarii, two months wages. Both big debts, but one a whole lot bigger than the other. What's Jesus' point? The point is this. We've all been forgiven. All of us. Now, maybe some of us have been forgiven 500 denarii. Some of us have been forgiven 50 denarii. But we have 
all been forgiven. We have all sinned. We all fall short. Not one of us measures up to the standard of God's holiness. So what's really the point of us debating and deciding whose sin was bigger? And actually, I don't think Jesus was saying that, well, this woman, this sinful woman, was forgiven a huge debt, while Simon over here, was, you know, his debt was really small. I don't think that was the point. I think his point was this. This woman had a huge debt. And she recognized that fact. And she understood it. But Simon didn't acknowledge the size of his debt. In his own estimation, he thought he had just a little debt. And that's why he loved very little. If Simon truly understood his sin, if he truly understood how much he needed forgiveness, he would have been right there at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet and worshiping Him too. The difference is not in the size of their debt, but in the size of their awareness, of their appreciation. And thus, that explains the difference in the size of their worship and their love. And Jesus' point is this, the more you've been forgiven, the more you want to love Him. And when I think about the cross, And when I think about everything that Jesus went through to go to the cross, to hang on that cross because He loved His Father, because He loved me, so that my sins, my 500 denarii debt could be wiped from the book. I want to pour out my praise. I, I can't hold on to my alabaster flask and, and keep it on the shelf and save it for a rainy day. No, I, I've got to pour it out. What level is your praise? Because our praise should be in proportion to the amount of grace we have been shown. That's why Jesus praises this woman. He says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. <laughs> My many sins have been forgiven. So I will love him much. I want to praise him. Let's pour out our praise at the feet of Jesus today and every day we gather for worship. And of course, the more we've been forgiven, the more we're going to be willing to forgive others. Tragically, it's often good church people who can be the most unforgiving. Simon had so much he could be forgiven for, yet he didn't have one bit of forgiveness for this woman. How dare he? How dare we? How, how dare we go to the cross and say, Jesus, forgive me? 
Forgive me of my sins. Wipe me clean. Make me new. Create in me a clean heart. And then turn around and not be willing to offer that same grace to someone else. Can any of us stand at the foot of the cross and see what Jesus did for us and not offer the same for others? Some of us here this morning do not have peace in our lives because we are carrying around pain and anger and bitterness towards someone else. And what we need, what you need for peace this morning is to take the grace that you have received at the cross and turn it around and pay it forward and give it to someone else. Well, they don't deserve it. Well, neither did you. But they really hurt me. Do you think the cross felt good? No. Release them. And you will find release. Embrace Jesus' forgiveness. And pay it forward. And then we all, like this woman, can go in peace. True peace. Lasting peace. A peace that passes understanding. A peace that confounds the experts of this world. A peace that makes no sense at all. But a peace that will completely redefine your life. As we close this message, we're about to go into a time of of communion. Where symbolically... We're going to gather around the cross. And you're going to eat a piece of bread which represents a broken body. And you're going to drink from a cup which represents spilled blood. A body that was broken for you. Blood that was shed for you. So that our sins could be forgiven. And we do this each week in remembrance of Him. We celebrate the forgiveness we have received. Our calling this morning then is to spread that forgiveness. Don't just receive the forgiveness, but but let it flow from you and through you into the lives of others. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the forgiveness from the cross is still there. It's still available. And maybe this morning is the day that you find that peace. A peace with your Creator and a peace with your Savior and a peace with your past and a peace with your future. Last Sunday, we, we celebrated as a young man was baptized into Christ. Maybe today is the day you make that decision. Where you are buried with Jesus in His death in the waters of baptism and you are raised to walk in the newness of life.
As we stand and sing, if, if you are ready to, to follow Christ, if you are ready to know the Prince of Peace, come speak with me. I'll be through these doors. You just need to spend time with Jesus, finding some personal peace with Him. We have people in the back to pray with you. We have a prayer bench back here where you can just spend some time with you and God. But you can find peace this morning. Let us sing.